Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I'm so happy to be with you today, and I have a special guest today, a gentleman that I've known for several years, and uh, but we haven't connected in a while, And uh, but uh, his name is Grady Smith, Pastor Grady Smith of uh, Shepherd's House of Worship here in uh, in the Des Moines area. Grady, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I'm I'm trying to go back. I'm trying to remember whether it was about 2002 or 2003 that we first met. You were working at uh, the New Vision House uh, with the Union Gospel Mission. That was uh, that was 15, 16 years ago. Yeah, I believe it was around 2002. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've known each other for a while and got a chance to connect periodically, but uh, I, I, it's good to reconnect with you because you've got a story to tell. And I love hearing the stories because this program, Grady, as as I've shared with our listeners before, and and uh, you know we get to hear a lot of great preaching on eight twenty a.m. The Word. There's a lot of interesting pastors and great teaching, but oftentimes people don't hear the backstory of why pastors become pastors and what their stories are. And somehow, sometimes people kind of think, well, they must have always been saved, or they they must have, you know, they had some sort of special uh, connection with God, but you're just an average guy that the Lord has brought into His plan and His purpose, and and uh, and has saved you for a, a purpose, hasn't He? Yes. Amen. So let's go back a little bit. Did you uh, grow up around here? No, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. So, got to tell me, are you a Browns fan? Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm, I'm a successful uh, transplant here in Seattle, and I love the Hawks. But but yes, I'm still a Browns fan. Still, still got that uh, in your blood, huh? Yes. Yeah. So then you maybe still a LeBron fan too. You got to be a Cavaliers fan. Y- yes, and, I am. Yeah. So uh, well, excellent. Well, I almost moved to Cleveland. As a matter of fact, back in the the, the mid '80s. So Cleveland's a, a a great city. Actually, can get cold in the winter. But, uh, Very cold. <laughs> that that lake effect, that water, <laughs> that air coming off the lake, it can get pretty cold back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what was life like for you back in Cleveland? How how many years did you live there? I lived there until I was twenty nine years old. So, uh, you know, grew up in uh, in the St. Clair, the east side of um, Cleveland, and I remember growing up with uh, you know I had five brothers and two sisters and. You know, we didn't have peer pressure issues at all, you know, so. um, But my parents went to church and we, you know, they they drug us to church, too. And, you know, we really didn't understand anything about church or anything like that. But but I just remember going and uh, I'm I'm reminded uh, two years ago, my I have a set of twins one year younger than me. And they reminded us we used to play church and they were always the deacons and I was always the preacher. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) So they recognized that even before you did, that uh, you you might have been a good preacher. So what was family life like for you all? Your parents took you to church. Was there a was there a, a spiritual um, emphasis at home, or was it more of a, you know, church is something you went to do every Sunday, and then you go live your life the rest of the time? 
Yeah, we went to church all day on Sunday. And uh, I remember my mom reading the Bible to us. But, you know, I was so young that I just, I didn't have many memories of it. I didn't hold memories of that until recently. Uh, but she, she died when I was 17. And uh, she got sick with cancer when I was 15. So prior to that, we were just in sports. And we, you know, we delivered papers and we shoveled snow. And we just, we just lived. We had fun. We enjoyed each other. We were a very close family. And, uh, you know, we just did a lot of things together. Yeah. It sounds like uh, when I was growing up, I mean, we delivered papers and shoveled snow. You know, the, you, you deliver papers and you mowed lawns in the summer mm-hmm. and shoveled, shoveled the walks in the winter to make a little bit of extra money. Yeah. And that's that's uh, the way life was back then. So, well, so what was your spiritual life like? Was it? Uh, I didn't have one. It was non-existent. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So t- tell me about sports. Uh, you were were you heavily involved in sports? Were you you know did you play? Were you a football guy? What, yeah, uh, what I was you a do? football guy. Wrestling was my favorite. Um, I, I didn't get much into baseball. My brothers did. Uh, I ran track. Um, you know, all of us all of us boys participated in sports, and my older brothers kind of paved the way for us. Mm-hmm. So by the time we got to you know uh, junior high and high school, the coaches were already recruiting us. So. And then at, at the age of eight, I used to go to football practice with my oldest brother. And then I was his, his um, practice dummy for his wrestling moves. <laughs> <laughs> so you got thrown around a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, so, uh, so what was your spiritual walk then? I mean, how, how did you, you know, you said, you know, there was not much there. So, you know, what, what did you do with church? What did you do with your, with your life and your teenage years? Nothing. Uh, at the age of 12, my mother made it our choice. She allowed us to choose if we wanted to go to church or not, and, and none of us chose. And, of course, you know, when she got cancer, my dad just pulled away from the church, and um, and church or God wasn't even, I don't remember any remembrance of it uh, after that 12-year-old age. So Yeah. Yeah. So that's tough. At 17 years old, your mom dies of cancer. Yeah. The, what did that do to your family? Was it hard on your brothers and sisters and you? Did yeah. it kind of everybody kind of go their own way, or did it draw you closer together? It drew everybody closer together, but I kind of isolated. Um, I ended up turning to drugs to to deal to cope with it, and um, it was devastating for me. It, it, my life literally ended at that moment. And, huh. um, and it was never the same, you know. Huh. So so how did that work out in your life then going forward? Was Were drugs then a, a significant part? Did it take over your life? Or was it just kind of a, a part of what you're doing and you're still working and going to school or doing whatever you're doing? Yeah, I, I, was, I was in my senior year of high school when she passed away. I was an honor student. I could have graduated, you know, a year early. I decided to just take the slash year and just take one class and hang out with my friends. And and when she died, uh, January 3rd, uh, I didn't go back to school. And then I joined the Marine Corps to just try to salvage something out of the year. And uh, and then I, I was honorably discharged shortly after uh, maybe a month or so into training due to high blood pressure. I was diagnosed with high blood pressure at the age of 12. And had been on medication, and so, uh, so I got honorably discharged, and then uh, my oldest son Grady uh, was born in October. So out of that entire 1979 year, that was the only highlight of the year, 
And so uh, I, I turned to drugs. Uh, I was smoking a lot of marijuana. I, I, I ended up maybe smoking about an ounce a day. I mean, I was just 24-7. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to feel anything. And uh, I did a little drinking. And then uh, years later, I got introduced to cocaine in uh, 1982. Uh, I got introduced to cocaine, and that just took over. I mean, I, I was a full-fledged crack cocaine addict i mean from day one and uh and i went 10 years on that stuff and it it got really really bad i mean it got so bad to the point where i would go into a crack house in cleveland ohio and ask for a dope and i would just snatch it and fight eight nine guys like a couple times a week you know it's a miracle i'm even alive Yeah. yeah yeah It's that addictive. I mean, crack is that bad that where you're willing yeah. to take on eight guys and yeah. and, and win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just for a hit. So life must have been uh, uh, fairly chaotic at that time. I mean, do, yeah. did you see your son much, or was it just kind of off and on? Well, uh, Grady, I you know, he was... Um, he was young, and I, I spent quite a bit of time with him, you know, uh, in between all that. We we used to just visit every park in Cleveland. You mm-hmm. know, we just went from park to park, and we take pictures at the at the entrance of the park just for memories. And, and uh, probably when he hit about eight years old, I had just, you know, that's when the transition of me just being an absentee dad just took over. And the drugs was all I did, you know, mm-hmm. every day, all day long. That's it's hard for me, you know, having grown up uh, not addicted to those kinds of things to understand how that can just take over your life. And that's about all. That's your life. It takes over your life. But that is your life, isn't it? And looking for that the next high, the next fix, the next buy, whatever, whatever that is. Yeah, it's it's so were real. So were you able to work at, at all, or was yeah, it I worked. I mean, you know, I that's how I primarily supported my habit. I mean, I, I sold drugs, but at this point, you know, selling drugs was basically to support my own habit. So I owed everybody money. That's why I came to Seattle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah, I had a little saying: everybody I know, I owe. So as off to Seattle I, I go. go. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? Uh, that was nineteen ninety. 1990. That's the same year I moved here to the Seattle area. I'm speaking with uh, Grady Smith, Pastor Grady Smith. He's the pastor at Shepherd's House of Worship uh, in the Des Moines area, and uh, this is heart of the city. Well, so Grady, 1990. So you come out here, kind of to maybe try to do a reset, kind of maybe try to start over. What what's your in your mind at that time? Yeah, I had um, I was a school bus driver. Um, in 89 and uh, decided after I dropped my kids off, decided, you know, to get high and couldn't stop. And I didn't stop to about nine thirty that night when the bus ran out of gas. It was, it was just a terrible situation and I never picked up the kids. And then I was a uh, crane operator. And after that, and then uh, I was, uh, I worked at Cleveland clinic. I was an anesthesiologist aide and I was just getting high the entire time. I was on a heart, liver and kidney transplant team. And, um, I mean, I was I was doing some great work, but I just I couldn't break free of those drugs. And so one of the uh, doctors smelt marijuana on me and I ended up in treatment in 84 and that didn't last very long. And then uh, I ended up back in treatment in 89. And then uh, when I moved out to Seattle, 
you know, the first job, I was here six days and I started working for Skippers up in Lake Forest Park. They had just opened up, but, you know, it snowed and the city froze up. And I right. mean, I've never seen anything like it. Cars <laughs> parked on the freeway. And I mean, uh, uh, yeah. I was just blown away. Yeah, I, us, I, us, us Midwest boys can't figure out how two inches of snow can, yeah. can lock a city down, right? <laughs> yeah. We got here on the on the 15th, it snowed on the 18th, and, I mean, it was just unbelievable. <laughs> I was just blown away. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so, um, but I, I, I came here, um, you know, I went back to treatment again in 89, and, and my middle son had another son, Joshua, born. He was he was born 10 years after uh, Grady, and, um, and his mother just, just, she couldn't understand the, the cocaine thing, and she wanted me to continue drinking with her. And she never could understand why I couldn't drink. And so she would just keep putting it in my face. And I just realized I had no hope in this relationship. And after seven years, I just I just left, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joshua was two years old. It was tough. But I would have died had I stayed in Cleveland. But I came to Seattle, and I did two more years of research. Uh, you know, ended up hmm. falling back into the wrong crowd. And, and I overdosed and died September 27th, 1992. And God delivered me and set me free right there in the crack house. I'd been there four days. I'd been blind after three days. I couldn't even see anymore. And um, and God got me out of there. And uh, two weeks later, I ended up in Teen Challenge down in Lebanon, Oregon. And I did three months there. And then they sent me to Spokane to the pig farm. And I was up there for 11 months. Mm-hmm. And um, and when I got out of Teen Challenge, you know, God had done a work in me. I was I was in Teen Challenge for one week. So I got there on the 8th of October, on the 15th of October. Uh, one of the pastors gave a salvation message, and, and my hand was like a helium balloon. It just went right up in the air, and I gave my life to Christ. And it was the best decision I ever made in my life, hands down. And from that moment forward, I just been to, began to grow in the Lord. I began to embrace uh, Scripture, memorize Scripture. I mean, I was just, just head over heels in love. And then I, I thought about how addicted I was to cocaine, and I asked God, God, I want to have an addiction for you like I had for this drug. And he honored that. And that's why today, here 25 years clean, loving God, in love with Jesus. And, I mean, he just transitioned that addiction from that drug to him. And it was the most powerful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Hmm. Hmm. What was good? Step back for a minute at Teen Challenge. I mean, it was a simple gospel message, you know. But where was your heart at? I mean, were you, you must have been just like... I don't have any other hope, right? Yeah. Well, well, you know when I, when I when I came to Seattle in 1990, uh, my sister-in-law was a Christian. My brother, his, um, her, her husband, was not. And somebody told her to get this particular book, you know, because I was coming and they wanted her, she wanted to understand what to expect. And so she couldn't find the book, but the Holy Spirit led her to a book by Nikki Cruz called Cookie. Mm-hmm. And she gave me that book when I when I came home after overdosing. My brother was back in Cleveland uh, for a family reunion, which I stayed behind because you know when you're addicted, you, I'm not going to take the little money I got and go visit anybody. Right, you know? right. So um, I read that book, and when I when I read about Teen Challenge, I've been to treatment twice. I says, man, a conventional treatment center just not going to work for me. It's, it's just not. I mean, I've I've tried everything. I remember even going to my dad one time and asked him, Dad, I need help. 
you know, and that was the hardest thing in my life to do because, you know, I just never wanted to present any weakness with my dad. He wasn't that kind of man. I was just that kind of guy where I just didn't, I wanted to always be pleasing to my dad. And he said, oh, you can quit if you want to. All you do is stop. And I walked away from him completely hopeless. If he couldn't help me, nobody could. Mm. And I just, you know, of course, my life continued to unravel and spiral out of control. However, when I read this book and I read about Teen Challenge, it was something that I never, ever imagined. So... I decided to go, and then the Lord just opened doors. Within two weeks, I was in the program. They said they've never seen anybody get in so fast, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just the hand of God, and um, I was ready, and I was in a relationship with a girl at the time, and I told her, I says, I don't know what to expect when I get out, but I suspect things are going to be different, you know. <laughs> and, um, and they were. And they were, <laughs> yeah, and it was just incredible. Uh, and while I was in Teen Challenge, we had these uh, projects we did every month. You know, we had these contracts. It was all of our month work in this folder. And the last one was dealing with family. And um, I was sitting there in the classroom and it asked a question, name three things in your life that hurt you. And I wrote something down. And then I wrote something else down. Then I sat there. And then all of a sudden I began to sob. I mm. mean, I began to sob so loudly. The teacher pulled me out of the classroom into the chapel. Apparently, I was too loud in there, so he took me outside. We were in the country. We were up in Airway Hikes up right. in Spokane. I've been and there, we, and, yeah. we, and we walked the road, and the teardrops were so big, I couldn't even see. Mm. I mean, he just had to kind of walk me, and we walked maybe maybe an eighth of a mile up, and then we came back. And I can only say three words, and that was just pray for me. I, oh. I couldn't even talk. But what happened was all of that grief that I'd been carrying from my mother all mm. those years— just came out of me and the Mm. Lord just cleansed me and washed me through that that one question and he set me free I mean that was something that I just I can't even put words to it it was just so um I mean I felt light as a butterfly when it was over I mean but I I mean I cried and and nobody knew what was going on right no one knew it's just like what happened yeah yeah and and they were in there trying to figure out did you say something I mean what it was it was all God and yeah and he actually allowed me to finally grieve my mother's death. And that was how many years after? That was 14 years after. 14 years. I think there are times people don't understand that grief needs to be expressed, doesn't yes. it? Yes, it does. And if it's not, it's going to come out. And it's going to get expressed. You just may not realize it's yeah. getting expressed. Mm-hmm. And that happened through your addiction. Yeah. But then the Lord, he is a good <laughs> God, isn't he? He is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so... What happened after that? Well, after that, you know, I um, I was just so focused on the Lord. And then the Lord revealed something else to me, that the drugs was never my problem. It was a symptom of a problem. And even though he, he allowed me to grieve, later on he showed me that I did have a problem that was bigger than the drugs. It was a sexual addiction, which I never realized I had. But he began to show me that every time I got clean, it was always the sexual desires that drew me back into the drug addiction. And he says, I'm not going to deliver you from this one. You're going to have to work through this one. And he made me work through that one. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I was in a situation where they had a car wash. And prior to me coming, the guys that were doing the car wash had all took all the money and went and bought beer and got drunk. So, 
you know, so I'm the, I'm like brand new. So for some reason they asked me to be the only person to collect the money. And I was okay with that. But what I discovered was most of the people who were getting their car wash were females. And right in the middle of the Lord with dealing me with this sexual addiction, you know, when a, when a woman opens the car door, the scent of a woman just drove my, my head straight through the roof. Wow. And it was, it was a, the first challenge for me. And I would just stand back and I would ask somebody else to get the money instead of going to the car, you know. And each day I was working through that thing. And the Lord helped me with that. And he helped me to get freedom from that. But that was the, the nugget for me. Yeah. You know, and that's what kept me bound in, in addiction and had even though he delivered me from addiction, had I not worked through that issue, it was a back door back to foolishness. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, uh, having had some experience with dealing with people with addictions, it's interesting you should talk about that, because my understanding is that that um, drug addiction, especially when it comes to meth or some of the heavier drugs that pornography and sexual addiction are almost go hand in hand with it, doesn't it? I yes. mean, it, 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 you can't get free from, well, just like you said, in order to get totally free, free from it, it was not just getting rid of the drugs. It was yes. getting rid of the mindset of the, the sexual addiction and the, and the pornography. Yeah, and what was amazing to me is I had no idea. Hmm. I had no idea. The drugs always masked that thing, and I never would have discovered that until the drugs were taken away. Yeah. Well, Grady, we've got a couple minutes left, and, and I want to obviously hear more of your story. So we're going to come back next week and, and hear s- some more of your story. But uh, let's talk for just a couple of minutes about the church that you're you're a part of and that uh, how long has uh, Shepherd's House of Worship been uh, been in existence October 1st wow yeah so just a few months now yeah mm-hmm. yeah well tell me about the church well we're meeting in Woodmont Elementary School which is in Des Moines uh, for 16th Avenue South there's a Salvation Army just up the road there um, and what's interesting is our son uh, Jeremiah used to go to that school hmm. you know and so it's just ironic that here we are and then I discovered from someone else at that school that building itself used to be a church Interesting. Yeah, and so um, we, we've got about you know, fifteen people that come in on a regular basis, and you know, and and we, we just worship God. We we love God, and we're we're working with the school to find out ways we can be an impact in the community. My wife and I, we knocked every door around the school uh, from October to mid November, and then we're going to pick it back up in the spring. And that's on Saturdays. We were going out at eleven o'clock, and we printed up flyers, and we invited the community to church. We prayed with people. Um, uh, we listened to them to find out what their issues were in the community. Uh, then on Tuesdays, we were up at the Safeway at 272nd, praying with people, passing out flyers, inviting them to church. So we had two days a week that we were just out, saturated the community with, with the exposure. And even after maybe four weeks at Safeway, we were running to some of the same people who said they were going to come visit the church or they, you know, they were looking for a church. And so now we were able to go a little bit deeper with them because we've already given them a flyer. We've seen them once. We've seen them twice. And we were just trying to figure out what's hindering you from uh, giving up a few hours on Sunday to come and worship the Lord. And so it's been fun. It's been a lot of work. Um, you know, uh, we passed out Thanksgiving baskets to, to some low-income families. And the, the, the school, the children in that school is 500 children in there. And that's our target community. That yeah. is the community right there. 
And so we're working with American Preparedness right now, and we're providing emergency preparedness packs for 72 hours for each kid in the school. We've got 50 of them uh, uh, already donated, and we have 450 more to go. And the school's excited. They don't have anything. Most of the stuff they have is outdated. So we're just glad to partner with them and come alongside. And then we're working on some technology things to exposing the kids to uh, science and uh, technology. Um, so it seems yeah. like uh, females is really lacking in that area. And in this area, we're booming in technology, and they're bringing people from all over and we have so many kids right now, we like to see them get exposed to it. Yeah. Well, listen, we're going to pick this conversation up uh, next week. And, Grady, I want to uh, thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. And if you want to connect with uh, with Grady, you can always go to shepherdshouseofworship.org. That's shepherdshouseofworship.org. Grady Smith, thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. Thank you. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on 820 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmstead at 206-269-6216 or go to 820amtheword.com.